friends. It's Sue Bidstrup with the Great Big Yes podcast. I need you to go ahead and grab your coffee or put your headphones in and just get ready because I had a chance to talk to Valley Gideons today from mybattlecall.com and you are going to love this conversation. We talked for over an hour on many different subjects. Um, She's a great writer. We talk about writing. We talk about parenting. She's the parent of two kids that have cochlear implants. We talk about parenting kids with hearing loss, what that looks like, kind of what she wished would have been available for her when she first got the diagnosis. So we talk about so many different things with regards to parenting. And she's a military wife, so we talk about that. Um, She's also a cancer survivor. Um, She lost her father when she was young. So we touch on all of these subjects, and there's just some really good, rich conversation here. So I am not going to spend a lot of time in this intro. All of the ways to reach Valley are going to be included in the show notes on greatbigyes.com. So you can check out over there if you want to find her and connect with her. And I just hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we enjoyed uh, recording it. Thanks again for being here. Again, it's Valley Gideons with mybattlecall.com. And you know, on this podcast, I talk to people who have said yes to a greater calling in their lives, people who are living with passion and purpose and making a difference in the world. All right. Enjoy. All right. All right. Well, hi, Valley. How are you? Hi, Sue. Thanks for having me. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited to have you. And um, as I was saying, just kind of before we started recording, it's just sort of funny. I was stalking you and just kind of reached out and said, I think you're awesome. Will you come on the podcast? So I appreciate you being here. I'm happy to be here and I'm happy you stalked me. (laughs) That's kind of how it works now, right? I mean, you just kind of find people and then you're like, oh, I really like this person and what they're putting out there. So um, thanks for being receptive to that. So I would love for you to just introduce yourself and um, maybe talk about what you do with my battle call. Okay, sure. Well, you you told them my name, Valley, and I write at my battle call. And it's a platform I created a couple years ago. My son is actually named Battle. And oh, my husband's that. in the military. So that's kind of the use of the my battle call um, name. And I really be- began the platform. I I have a degree in journalism and I've been a writer most of my life, but I had kind of put that on the back burner and uh, pivoted into becoming a health and fitness director. I worked for the YMCA. Awesome. And, and kind of changed my career path out of college. And then once I became a mom, I returned back to writing because of my son, Battle, being born with hearing loss. And it enabled me to get my pen and paper back out because I had a new story to tell. And it's kind of blossomed into a platform of uh, a community where parents can come together who have shared experiences. It's my advocacy platform. I also connect with military wives and then just talk about other things from the heart. I'm a cancer survivor and my father died when I was 21. So I have you know, talk about grief. And uh, so it's not just one dimensional, but I'd say hearing loss is primarily the topic that I talk because it's a big part of our life. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, did you always know that you were going to name your son Battle? Like before he was born, you're like, we're gonna. This is our name. Like, was that always kind of picked out? I think that's so interesting. I love it. Oh my goodness, <laughs> this is a very long story, and I just wrote a piece about it. It was going to be in a book of essays on teen boys, but they they went with one of my other essays. So I will tell you briefly the story. Okay. So like I said, I'm married to a Marine. He's a career Marine. He's a Colonel. Now he was a second Lieutenant, which is the most junior officer rank in the military when I met him. Mm -hmm. And we, we dated, we got married, we waited 10 years to have our first child. And while I was pregnant, we knew he was a son. My husband kept saying, that's my boy battle. Yeah. And I said, there is no way. <laughs> that is just creepy to name Not happening. <laughs> a son battle when you're a Marine. Like if you weren't a Marine, maybe. But so my whole family, his whole family started referring to the boy as baby battle. And they broke me down. I and love it. Next thing you know, the name was on the nursery wall before he was born. And I'm like, we're going with it. And then the second part of the story is then once we started telling people, they would literally look at me cross-eyed when I'd say, <laughs> yeah, his name is Battle. And they'd go, huh? Yeah, yeah. Battle, like rattle with a B, B-A-T-T-L-E. And they would just look at me like I was nuts. So then my husband and I decided to try a new technique, which was to make up a story. <laughs> and we started saying, well, it was great uncle battle who fought in the civil war <laughs> and they were like, that is so cool. So the long and the short, he actually, my husband did grow up. He's from Virginia, North Carolina. And one of his good family friends played for Carolina football and his name was battle wall. And so when my husband was a young boy, he remembers thinking that's the coolest name. Yeah. So that was the real story, but now it's just become great uncle battle from the civil war. Oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. My son's middle name is Lucky. And oh, I love that. It all started because my husband said, wouldn't it be cool if he could just like, like imagine him, he's like hanging out and he's talking to a girl and he gets to say like, Lucky's my middle name. <laughs> and yeah, at first I was it. like, that is so dumb. <laughs> and then I, it grew on me and I was like, I love it. I think it's- I <laughs> love that name, Lucky. Yeah. So I do. We're waiting for him to like adopt it like fully and like go by it or something. But like right now he's kind of, he's 16. He's still a little bit embarrassed about it. He's kind of like, that's weird. right. Yeah. Maybe in college he'll own it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And, um, my son, we gave him my father who, like I said, my father died of cancer when I was only 22. And mm -hmm. uh, so we gave battle our, my father's first name, Joseph, as a kind of a backup plan in case he hated the name battle. Yeah. And he does like being named after my father. However, he says, why didn't you just put my real first name first? Because, you know, you go to the doctor's office or wherever official business, they, they'll say Joseph and he doesn't even look. Yeah. So that was a lesson we learned. Name your kid what you want them to be called instead oh, of having to always sure. tell people, oh, by the way, his real name is Battle, but the legal name is Joseph and it's just this whole thing. So, so what does he go by? Does he go by battle? Oh yes. That's yeah. the only name he goes by. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So we should have just put it first, but I just thought Joseph sounded better first. 
I know. It's kind of that should have thing when you right. name, you know, I grew up Catholic and um, you always had to give like a saint name as the middle name. And I remember like, so we didn't, we did lucky. And I remember like people in my family like kind of looking at me cross-eyed, like, what are you thinking with that middle name? Like, what is that? <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> the, you probably got the looks too. Yes, totally. So you mentioned so many things. And, I know, I'm sorry. And this is, no, I love it. I love it. And this is why, like, when you reached out and we were talking about, like, what, what are we going to talk about? I had a list a mile long, cause, and I, couldn't, I can't even tell you what we're going to talk about because I want to go ask you about a little different things. So first, I'd love to ask you about, um, you mentioned that you're a cancer survivor. I am. Okay. What kind of cancer or what? I had, yeah. yeah, I had thyroid cancer mm. and I almost just said I didn't have a real cancer. I almost just let that come out of my mouth. And mm. I've been working on this for five years to say, no, there's no little kind of cancer. Cancer is cancer. I had a very curable cancer, mm -hmm. but I am still really dealing with the havoc that having your thyroid removed plays on your body, especially when I'm perimenopausal. Mm. you know, po postnatal, like in that yeah. in-between age where hormones are already shifting. So it's, it's been quite a journey to just deal with the fallout of what having your thyroid removed does to your body. Oh yeah. I can imagine. Um, so how, so it was five years ago. You mentioned, you said five years. So was yeah. it? Okay. It's, it's coming up on six. So, okay. That's yep. good. So did you have to do chemo and everything? Oh, no, no. no. That, like okay. I said, see, it's, it's the good one to get. Yeah. They did a full thyroidectomy where they removed the thyroid, and then it had uh, moved into a couple of my lymph nodes, so they took those out. And then I did one round of a radiation to kill all the remaining tissue. Yeah. And then that's pretty much it. It's just going to endocrinologists. At first, I think it was every three months. Now it's six months. Body scans annually. Yeah. Um, bone density, you know, all the things that you would have by not having a, a natural thyroid. Yeah. Wow. I was just listening to, I don't know if you know who Christian Northrup is, but she writes about like menopause and you mentioned um, perimenopause and all of that. Um, and she talks about like this stage of our lives. I just turned 50 and just kind of how she says um, you you know, looking at it more, she has the stance of like looking at it more of like this invitation into like this season of life when you can really, you know, create from your soul, she says. And it's kind of interesting just because you always hear all the bad stuff about menopause and all of that, which today I was listening and she was talking about um, the hormones and just how much our bodies change just best case scenario. We're all going to go through like so much of that, you know, so I can even imagine like you've got that added, the added stress of no thyroid. Well, goodness gracious, she's spinning it in a positive way, huh? I've never heard it before. I was like, girl, you need to get this up. And she's been around forever. Like, I think Oprah loved her, like, in the 90s. I mean, I, I'll have to listen to her. I'll yeah. write that down and uh, make sure I... The book is The Wisdom of Menopause. And then I actually can't... I have a hard time, like, actually reading books now because I have my reading glasses and I fall asleep in, like, five minutes. So <laughs> I'm, like, on Audible. And so it's called Something Different on Audible, but it's if you uh, Google The Wisdom of Menopause, you'll see it. Okay. Um, yeah, but a real positive spin, you know, just about um, that it doesn't have to be 
this horrible thing. It can be, um, and you know, she's big on, she's a doctor, so she's big on kind of controlling it with what we eat and uh, getting good sleep and all of that. So, but I think also the flip side of that is also women don't want to talk about it at all because I don't know, there's a stigma or yeah, we think we're alone, but I think the most important thing is there are things that are happening to your body yeah. that are normal, but they're not pleasurable at all. Mm-hmm. And it's temporary. And to just be able to talk about, you know, just be able to say, this is what I'm going through and not try to sugarcoat it. Like that it's no big deal. And yeah, uh, our feelings about aging, I think change as we age. Right. Yeah. You know, I don't want to, and and I'm not one to say like, I'm going to age gracefully and not like do anything. <laughs> like I'm not against like a little Botox here and there and, you know, I get my hair highlighted and all of that. So it's kind of like whatever works for you. But I also want to have the attitude that, cause I believe this, I think we get so much wiser and being 50, I'm like, I'm like, I feel like now it's like my chance where I get to do what I want to do. Like I have this whole new career and I'm like super excited about it. And it feels like promising and hopeful. Like I'm not dreading it. And I want to share that. I think that's a good way of looking at it. Not in a fake way, like, oh, we have to pretend everything's great. Because it's like you said, there's some things that are happening that are not so pleasant. Um, But in our mind and in our heart and in our spirit, I think we're stronger than ever and more comfortable in our own skin in a lot of ways. I think, yeah, you nailed it. I think for me, it's perspective. Yeah. That's partly why I write about our journey. I wasn't ready to write about it when we were going through the early stages. I couldn't have written about it because I didn't have perspective. Yeah. So I just think back to part of what my inspiration for starting my blog and, and my website and writing about our experiences was to say when I was in it, we called it the fog. You know, just being a new mother and getting a diagnosis, something out of the ordinary is just challenging in itself. But to look back and, and I, I didn't know what it would look like. So not that anybody else's experience is going to be like ours, but to say to that new mom or dad or parent who's received that diagnosis is it's going to be okay. Your okay will look different than our okay but your child is going to be able to thrive. It may look different than my child, but it's going to be, you're going to get through this and all the stages and it's true in parenting, but the stages you go through, you think they're going to last forever. And then with perspective and retrospect, you look back and say, wow, that seemed like it lasted forever, but it was literally a blink and it was done. So I think I'm also able to appreciate my children. I, both my children have hearing loss. And um, I think because the early years were so difficult, so difficult. Yeah. I am loving tween teen years. Yeah. I, I, because one, I know they're going to be okay. They're thriving. They're going to be okay. They're good humans. Yep. They're amazing people, adorable people. And the hard isn't as hard. It's different, but it's, it's manageable. So. I think yeah. that's for me perspective. Oh yeah. Can so can we talk about that? Like how old was your son when you got the diagnosis? So he was diagnosed, he failed the infant hearing screening. Okay. 
So I'm a big proponent of, I think almost every state now has mandated hearing infant screenings. Um, we were living in Ohio at the time. My husband had orders. We were living in Cleveland and he failed the infant screening and we thought nothing of it because we had no family history and they said it's probably just fluid in his ear canal, which is pretty common. Parents are told that often when kids fail the basic screening. So we had to bring them back two weeks later for our, a more sophisticated testing called an ABR. And we literally walked into that test thinking we were going to get results that he was fine. He could hear mm -hmm. because that's what we'd been told would probably happen and ended up, we got invited into the cold I call it the cold room. Nobody wants to be invited into. Mm -hmm. And the doctors came in and said, your son has severe hearing loss. He'll probably go to mainstream high school, maybe get a cochlear implant hearing aids. And any questions? And we're like, what? Wow. High school? Huh? What's a cochlear? What? You mm -hmm. know, these were not words we were from. I'd never met a person with hearing loss till I met my child, which yeah. I find ironic. So um, that just set us on the path of, you know, we bundled them up, we walked to the car, strapped them into his car seat, and we sat in the car looking straight ahead, weeping. Like, yeah. what did we just get told? And then it was roll your sleeves up, get to work, get mm. all the information. This is now he's my son's 14. So this is before you could just go on Facebook and jump into a support group. Right. And I'm not going to say people have it easy now because they don't, but there sure are a lot more easy, easily accessible uh, resources than we had to do a lot of digging. And so that kind of started us on the journey of what hearing loss was and what were the, the choices and alternatives and so on and so forth. And so, yeah, I mean, just to be con it's it's like you're forced into just learning about this whole new thing and you don't know where to start. I mean, that's terrifying. Yeah. It was overwhelming. Well, and you know, if you can remember back, being a first time mom is overwhelming. I was afraid to just take my daughter home. Like I didn't even <laughs> know, like literally I was like, they're like, see you later, you know? And you're like, aren't you coming right. with me? Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I know. My mom was actually in Cleveland with us for the birth. And I remember when she left and my husband had to go back to work and my mom, he was taking her to the airport and I stood at our back door holding the baby, looking out the window and I started crying. Oh, yeah. Like you guys cannot leave me alone. <laughs> like yeah. what? And I called my sister crying while I'm breastfeeding going, he won't stop eating every <laughs> five minutes and just all of it. So, yes. So it's overwhelming. So where did you start? I mean, did they give you the name of a doctor or someone to call? Or I don't even know what you would do. Because you're right. You couldn't Google. Right. I, well, we, um, I just told the story for the first time to an audiologist the other day that we went to a different hospital mm -hmm. because we were very uh, disappointed in the way that it was an ENT doctor. The way he gave us our diagnosis was so crass. Yeah. And I know he was trying to not, probably not minimize it, but let us know it would be okay. But his delivery was so bad. We're like, we can't deal with, mm -hmm. we need to go somewhere else. So luckily we were located one of the best hospitals in the country. So we switched, found a great ENT. So that was our first step is doing the ENT who yeah. then 
got us um, connected to one of their audiologists. And then we had one of the, someone from the county intervention programs come see us. Is that like the pre three program? Like where they come and yeah, we had that too. Cause my daughter had, um, or my son had, I've got, we've got a bunch of stuff, but my son had, um, he wasn't speaking at all. So like they came pre three for the speech thing too. So I, I know what you're talking about. They come to your house and kind of do a bunch of evaluations, send a bunch of people. Yeah. And yeah. I think the, I mean, it's hard to remember back because we've dealt with so many specialists now, but she kind of could guide us to the different resources that were in the county. Yeah. And then we were lucky we had really good health insurance because it covered everything. So he got fitted with hearing aids at three months. Okay. And then started auditory verbal therapy at six months, which is a specialized kind of therapy to teach children with hearing loss to um, utilize their residual hearing and make sense of it. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to be able to hear and access the sound, but then to make meaning of it is the big, that's where the real work takes place is make turning sound into meaning. Mm-hmm. So um, we started that at six months of age and we worked with one of the best auditory verbal. So you, you know how you look back and see the blessings. Yes. As much as I'm from California and moving to Cleveland was not my top choice, but you know, looking back, I know we were there for a reason. And one of those being working with one of the best auditory verbal therapists in the country. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and he really didn't tell us what we needed to do for our son, but he did guide us in a direction that made sense for our family. And mm-hmm. it was super personal, the decisions we made to go ahead with the cochlear implant. But um, we've never regretted it because my children have speech and language. They're able to thrive in a mainstream classroom with you know, limited accommodations at this point. So and when did you get the co- cochlear implant? He got his first implant. At the time, they weren't doing both ears at the same time. That science has changed now. Mm. They weren't doing implants on children younger than 12 months, and that's even changed. I think the most recent was a three-month-old. Oh, wow. So he was 14 months when he got his first implant. Awesome. And then tell me about your daughter, because then how much later was your daughter born? Well, we just decided to do the, uh, let's have two babies quickly and <laughs> 21 months later. And so I was pregnant with her while, um, he went in, my son went in for his surgery. So, okay. I'm not sure why, you know, there was no good time Yeah, to have, you know, to send your baby into major surgery. However, there's that window of language acquisition that you probably know of. Yeah. Um, so at the time, it was two. They were thinking two and under was optimal. I mean, not that kids don't have success later, but it's just it's a lot more easy. A lot more easy. It's easier, easier yeah. for for um, the earlier you do it. So, what was going to be the alternative? It would be just doing the hearing aids. Um, so, it depends on the level of loss. So, so for some people, hearing aids work. Mm-hmm. Um, some people. Um, a hearing device doesn't work or they opt to do um, live completely in deaf culture where they learn sign language mm-hmm. or they do a combination. So there's all different ways to be deaf and hard of hearing. I write a lot about it. There's just not one way. Yeah. And we've never questioned the way 
that we did it. It made sense for the information we had at the time, for the children we had at the time, and what um, the science. So yeah, it's personal, you know, it's very personal, and all of that for sure. So tell me about your daughter then. So she was born twenty mo- twenty one months later. Yep. So. The only way to check for they had, we actually did get genetic testing with my son and were able to identify the syndrome that caused the hearing loss. So we were lucky in that aspect because a lot of people will never know the cause mm-hmm. or they don't, I mean, and that might not matter to them, but for us it did because then we could look for, is there anything else associated with the syndrome? And the only um, thing particular to their syndrome is the hearing fluctuates. And that's very important to know when you're dealing with an infant with digital hearing aids because they're shaped right to their specific hearing loss. But if your hearing fluctuates, then that's not very reliable. Yeah. So um, anyway. So what do they do? They just have a way of, I mean, I don't need to know all the science, but they just, if the, if you know it fluctuates, they can accommodate that. Well, that's, that's what makes it so challenging with the baby is, they do behavioral testing, but you're not very reliable when you're an infant. You're just trying to stay awake, you know? Right, right. I mean, I can remember rolling him into the um, audiology appointment and just hoping, you know, timing it out, nursing him, changing him, like hoping, you know, he's going to cooperate, not scream. And um, yeah. so those first couple of years are just trying to um, condition the kids to be as reliable as possible, but it's really tricky. And the audiologists have their techniques of what they look for in facial expressions and eyes and this and that. But um, yeah, they reshape, actually reshape the programming of the hearing aid. And then, so one of the reasons that a cochlear implant made sense for us is a cochlear implant bypasses any natural hearing. So think of it this way. A hearing aid amplifies any hearing that you have. Okay. A cochlear implant completely bypasses your natural hearing and it is impl- electrodes are implanted down into your cochlea. That's how it gets the name. And it sends an electronic message, stimulates those electrodes, and then sends that digital message to the brain. The auditory nerve sends it to the brain and then makes, turns it into sound. This is so amazing, like how brilliant these people are that have created this. Right. I know. I think the gentleman who invented the cochlear implant, I think he just died. Um, And he wasn't, he was, um, his story is kind of interesting, but what gave him the idea was sitting on the beach, picking up one of those shells. Oh yeah. Shape of a cochlear, you know, like a snail. Yeah. Like what we need to do is we need to be able to get something down in that. And it needs to be pliable and able to, the electrodes, you know, have to be able to be we like oh, that's head down. And it's, I mean, it's these guys that do these men and women that came up with the science behind it are just a miracle. Yeah. Me. But um, so anyways, back okay. to my daughter. So I was pregnant with her and we were not going to uh, do the genetic testing. The only way in utero was to do an amnio. And we really didn't think it was worth any risk. But then we were doing her quad screening blood test and it came back with a high probability for down syndrome. Mm. And this was a couple days before my son was getting his surgery. And I just said to my husband, I don't think I can wait till she's born to know if she has down syndrome. 
-hmm. you know, whatever it is, we'll deal with it. It'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And, but I need to know, I need time. So we were able to do the amnio and get, and so it ended up coming back negative for down syndrome. So we could, we took a deep breath inside with that news, but then they were able to do the genetic testing for the hearing loss. And it took a couple extra weeks to get that for that to come back. And then we found out she indeed had the same syndrome. And I was very thankful we did, we did get that information before because I was very surprised by my reaction, which was, I was devastated. Mm. I don't know. I, she had a one in four chance, but I, for some reason thought this, she'll be the hearing baby. Yeah. And I just had to grieve. Like it was not as much for her at the time because I didn't really know what their life would look like, but it was more for selfishly. Like I just wanted to know what it would be like to have a hearing baby. Mm -hmm. You know, our kids couldn't wear their devices in the bath when you're rocking them to sleep without their devices on. They can't hear a lullaby. Like, they can't hear a bird. They can't hear a whisper. All the things that people take for granted. Yeah. You know. Now, at that time, did you have any support for yourself? Was there any, like you mentioned, you know, we didn't have like hop on Facebook and be in a group. And, um, but like, were there, were the doctors able to refer you to support or anything? No. <laughs> That's such a shame. Yeah. It, it, I, I'm sure somewhere deep down is why I have become an advocate and yes. really try to be, you know, somebody who can help give others hope because besides our speech therapist and our auditory verbal therapist, that community was really good at supporting us. They were mm -hmm. really our champions. Yeah. Our family, we were living remote. So, and you know, we had some family that, um, rolled their sleeves up and just tried to help as much as possible. We had some family, like typical families, some in denial, mm -hmm. some tried to minimize, mm -hmm. minimize what it meant. You know, I wrote a piece about being told it'll be fine. It'll be fine. He'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And just, and talk about not empathizing one second about what the gravity of the situation was he is not going to just be fine because you say so right he's going to be fine because we are going to pour our blood sweat and tears into this kid to make sure he has every opportunity and it's going to take a lot of work it's a 24 7 job and it will be worth it however to just say it's fine does not make it so no, and it's kind of rude and dismissive <laughs> of you, right? Kind of rude, um, to put it mildly, and dismissive of you and what you're going through. Yes. And I've learned with retrospect that often people just don't know what to say. And so I do try to provide a, some grace and forgiveness for people yeah. who said things that just now, looking back, so, seemed so callous. They didn't intend it to be that way. They just didn't know what else to say. So that's, I do write about what, what could you say that would be helpful? Yeah. You know, well, what, what, what is the answer to that? Like, what could you say that would be helpful? I think first and foremost is just acknowledging, I, we, my husband and I always use the, just this word, the gravity of the situation. Don't, yeah. don't trivialize it. Mm -hmm. We don't need you to be telling us it's all going to be fine. What we need you to say is, wow, that must be really hard. We're yeah. going to be here for you. 
can I bring you coffee? And yes. we watched the kids. And I did have parents that are family members that helped like during um, appointments would come out and support us. And so it's not like we didn't get any support, but I think just listening mm-hmm. also when I, cause you know, people want to fix it. Mm-hmm. You can't fix this. So, and also getting to know our kids. My mom was such a saint. Um, you know, she saw past the hearing loss just to know my child because yeah. you want your child to be seen like the whole child, not just the hearing loss part. Yep. And we had other people in the family and friends that did the same. You knew who they were. Yeah. And then I think surrounding yourself with those people is important. So the people who are um, making you feel worse, it may be time to put some boundaries and not spend as much time around that type of person while you're trying to get through it and then surround yourself with people who lift you up. Yes, for sure. In all things, but definitely um, just val. And it's good for all of us to hear in any situation, just validating people and just listening is always such a gift. (laughs) Yes. Listening, right? Yeah. But we're by nature, we want to fix things and it gets uncomfortable Mm-hmm. When someone's telling you something hard they're going through, we want to offer, my husband's like this as a Marine. I mean, his, he's the chief of staff right now, but he's an operations officer where he like st- plans out huge strategic missions. Yeah. He can problem solve. He, I like, you want the guy with you when you have a problem, like you're out in the middle of the wilderness and then you're, you know, this goes or this goes wrong or this you know, yeah. deserted on a desert island. You want him there because he could come up with a plan, but sometimes... I don't want your plan. I just want you to listen. Mm-hmm. And I yep. just want you to acknowledge that it's hard and you don't, you can't fix it. Don't try to fix it. Yeah. My kids have taught me that actually. Um, they have said those words to me like, mom, I need you to just listen, like stop trying to fix it. Cause I'm such a fixer. Like my, that's my personality is like, oh, it's going to be okay. This is what we're going to do. Like immediately right. without allowing them to just my oldest daughter said I, I was kind of harsh on her. <laughs> harsh is a, the word she used. Um, because I'm more like, let's do it. Let's go. Let's fix it. Let's, you know, make it better. And, and I've learned that through them just by them telling me point blank, like, mom, stop. Like, I need you to listen. Wow. I know. How, aren't you proud of them for being, able, being able to say that? And when my son recently said that to my husband, mm. um, saying he was stressed about something and my husband just went right into I'm going to give you the solution Mm -hmm. and I said I'm just proud of you that you were able to articulate that something is stressing you out yep and my husband was like whoa like boy did I just like step on his feelings and just try to fix him and and then my son said, yeah, you do that a lot. Mm. And my husband's like, I'm sorry, I'll try to do better. And that was like a moment. Yeah. Because wait, there was an apology. There was an acknowledgement There was sharing feelings. I was like, Oh, this is good stuff. Yes, it is. (laughs) And I think just the realization, and you mentioned it earlier, like people don't mean to be rude or whatever. So it's like offering grace And then as a mom, for me, at least offering grace to myself has been really important too. Like I've done um, some things that, you know, like that where my kids would be like, mom, I wish you would have listened. But I, 
we got to offer ourselves grace and we got to do better when we, you know, know better, but we were doing the best we knew how to do. Right. And sometimes we're just unaware of how we're showing up. And so I love it when we get a little glimpse into that and then be teachable, right? Like listen to what people are, the feedback people are giving you, but don't beat yourself up for, you know, things that you didn't know better. Does that right. make sense? <laughs> it totally does. And I think I, I wrote a piece about being able to say sorry to your kids and what that teaches. Mm, and so uh, my son, he's, oh, this kid is such a genius in math. It's, I'm so envious of his, I mean, he was doing long division in his head when he was like a toddler, I swear. Awesome. <laughs> and um, it's just, it's one of his superpowers, I say. And, um, and I'm not bragging on him. I'm just like, it's a fact. Yeah. And so anyways, he's in this honors geometry um, class in eighth grade and he worked to get into this class. It was like, he, he drove the, he drove the whole thing to get into this class. It was not something I wished for him or my husband wished for him, but he, he, his desire. And so he came home and his school, he has a really cool school. They, um, every quiz they want the parents to sign because they do corrections. So he handed me his, it was early on in the semester. He hands me his test and to sign. And I look right up at the top and I go, Oh, it looks like you need to do a little more work in your geometry. And it was like an 89. Yeah. But he so aces almost every test that it was to me, 89 it's almost like failing for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he just looked at me and he shrugged his shoulders and he walked away. Mm. And I'm like, Oh man, as it came out of my mouth, yep. I was already going, why did I do that? So then I flipped through and I'm looking at these equations and I swear I could not have solved one of them. Right. Yeah. So I walked up tail between the legs sat on the side of his bed and I'm like, I'm so sorry. And he's like, yeah. what mom? Like almost had almost forgotten. I said, yeah. I didn't look at your effort. I didn't look at anything but that grade. And that was just not kind of me and kind of a bad parenting moment. He's like, Oh, it's fine. And I'm like, no, it's not fine. I said, and you know, I couldn't have solved a single one of those problems. And that's why I studied journalism. And then we started laughing and, and I think the, the message to me was that it's, it's good to show your kids that you are human, you make mistakes, you say and do dumb things, but then yeah. own it and apologize and let them see that you can also forgive people. Yes. So powerful. Yep. And if we never, I think so many parents try to act like we're perfect. Mm-hmm. Yes. That we, we can't show our flaws. And then our kids just have this unrealistic expectation that they'll never live up to. For sure. With parenting, with marriage, with just kind of how we go about life or relating to our other family members, all of it. Like it's a gift to give them transparency and vulnerability. It truly is. But I think a lot of times we're trying to wrap it up in a bow, like give them this perfect childhood that doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. It does not exist. So I often tell my kids, I'm just doing the best I can. Like sometimes yeah. I can't be two places at once. You yeah. guys just have to understand I'm doing the best I can. And my husband deploys a lot. So I've been a single parent often with these two kids. So I yeah. needed to get myself forgiveness. They've had to get forgiveness. Like I can't be both mom and dad. Yep. You know, I'm just doing the best I can. So tell me about um, your husband. I think that's amazing. Um, 
like career military. So he's been in the military for how many years, did you say? He just celebrated 28 years, May. Wow. Wow. Thank you to him for his service and to you. I, I know um, other military wives and I know it is. It's a sacrifice that you guys um, offer for us. And so thank you for that. Um, how much has he been home or gone? Like that, you mentioned you were a single parent at times. Was that the majority of the time he was gone? Well, he had a very high tempo career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I call him the Forrest Gump. Whenever anything's going on, he's there. Or he's called <laughs> to go there, which is why he's had a pretty decorated career as well. But with that has come um, 10 deployments. Wow. And then lots of many deployments that don't count as official deployments. Like if it's like three months, okay, you know, six weeks, three months, that doesn't even count as a deployment. So just, I mean, from the day I met him though, he has been on this kind of tempo. So um, it's just kind of part of our life. Mm-hmm. And I've just, after this last appointment, he's been home now one year and he went on his longest deployment. It was nine months and our son became a teenager. It was uh, my son's first season of tackle football. It was all these things mm-hmm. that just made it the hardest deployment Yeah, um, to date, which you know, the deployments when the kids were little were just physically, mentally exhausting. But this was the most challenging because the kids, one, are older and they know the inherent danger now. You can't sugarcoat. You can't pretend the Middle East is a safe place. Right. You know, we used to be able to say, well, dad really leads from the rear. And, you Mm -hmm. know, my daughter for the longest time thought he was in the band because (laughs) you know, we'd go to these Marine Corps functions and the Marine band would be out there on the parade deck. And she's like, why didn't daddy have an instrument? And I'm like, oh, dad didn't have an instrument today. (laughs) So like, we're just going to let her believe that um, (laughs) Marines play tubas. And uh, (laughs) but uh, so that was, it was a very challenging deployment, just having my son, because my husband's also become my son's person. Yeah. And I couldn't be you know, I couldn't give him what my husband gives him. And, um, so that it was just tough. And then it was tough on my husband this time because he does have such a close relationship with the kids that now just everything he was missing, he couldn't just turn us off because one technology, he, he had access to FaceTiming us and, you know, he could get on Facebook. And so he says it's a blessing and a curse. Right. I bet. Yeah. Like so the olden days, you know, it was easier because you couldn't see what you were missing. So you just missed it. Like it was just, you could shut it off. And now, you know, he's FaceTiming in and maybe, you know, we're on our way to the beach or, or the kids don't want to talk to him because they're in the middle of playing a video game or yeah, whatever. And his feelings are hurt. And it's this whole like, you know, back and forth tug of war we go through. Yeah. So. You know, my dad was a Marine. He was in World War II, so it was a long time ago. And yeah, and I think about that. It's like, they just were gone, you know? Like they could write letters, but they were just gone. And I think now we kind of take for granted that whole, like, we're still connected in a lot of ways. But I could see where it would be a blessing and a curse. Right. Yeah. I mean, when I started dating my husband, he went on his first deployment and we wrote letters. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think I, I'm sure that's why we ended up married because we 
did have such a love story through letters. Oh, I love that. And I'm, I hope you saved them all, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. I, I, we have a big box. And yeah, who knew right. that box of letters would end up being in our, like, I don't know, this is our 10th home. Oh, we've my gosh. owned her together. Uh, you know, we keep moving that box around. Oh, that's a book, girl. That's going to be a book one day. You could yeah. write it. You know, like that, that might just be forth. my book. <laughs> but, um, okay, so I want to, I know we're going to run out of time because I feel like I could talk to you for hours, but I want to also talk to you kind of about the writing and kind of going back to that because I talk to a lot of women um, that I'm coaching that have like this dream in their heart, right? They have like this desire to do something else. Like they want to start a business or they want to write a book or they want to start something up on their own. And I don't know, there, some of, sometimes it's fear and sometimes it's this feeling like, oh, I, I can't do that. I, I don't, it's too late. <laughs> um, so I, I guess I wanted to talk to you about that. Like when you started writing again, how old were your kids? Cause you said you didn't do it right away, but you did start kind of telling their story after a certain amount of time. Well, I, I would say, first of all, people who ask me all the time, how do you write? Like, I want to, I've always wanted to write. How do you do it? Sit down and write. Even yeah. if it's in a journal, you just write. Yes. Everybody has a story. And I tell people this, you know, you're the only one who can tell your story. Mm -hmm. It's uniquely yours. Like I don't tell my children's story. I don't tell my husband's story. I tell it my story, my point of view. And I, I bet my kids someday are going to read my work and go, what? that's not how it happened. And I'm like, well, then you need to tell it from your point of view. But yep. I, I always tell people who want to write, just start writing. That's great. Maybe you don't have a plan, but for me, I started writing in second grade. I mean, I always was a writer, um, either short stories or journaling or poetry or whatever. And I ended up studying it in school and being a magazine writer and, um, but I pivoted into different career choice through the YMCA, which was more mission-driven work. And I was always also was, uh, had a passion for health and fitness. So I was a health and fitness director, but I still got to write. So anything that came out of the Y from our branch usually was written by me, newsletters. And so cool. I still got to use that muscle. Yeah. But um, when I finally left the Y... I went on a girl's trip with my two best friends. They're my best friends since fifth grade. Awesome. Both entrepreneurs, very amazing, successful, inspiring women. And they said, why don't you write anymore? They're both been pushing me. You need to write your book. Like everything I would uh, tell them a story, that needs to be in your book. And I'm like, you guys want this book more than I do. But they, <laughs> why don't you write? And I'm like, I just don't know what my story is. And they're like, are you kidding me? Right. And so they kind of were my accountability. I said, mm -hmm. well, I had written a piece. I'd started a WordPress and wrote a piece about um, a real breakthrough moment I had had with my son. And I wrote it because I didn't want to forget it. Yeah. And that kind of ended up being, and it was called Bat My Battle Call was the name of the piece. And that, mm. I dusted that thing off and I said, okay, and I'm going to start back at this. And then I did my homework. You know, yeah. That's the other thing. I think people want things handed to them and I don't. <laughs> yes. 
I, yeah. I, I love helping the next in line. I like paying it forward, but I also am not going to do the work for you. Right. So there's plenty of online courses, um, conferences, you know, you're going to have to invest mm -hmm. in whatever it is you want to do. Um, and you're going to have to get smart on it and not expect someone to just tell you, give you all the answers. Um, I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, do your homework and what are you passionate about and come up with a plan. Yes. I love it. And I think too, just kind of, I started writing a blog nine years ago and I mean, I'm still figuring out who I want to be and what I want to do. It kind of evolves. It's like you do the next right thing. You do the right. next thing you're interested in. You take that next path. You know, you can kind of feel it um, when it's time to shift or whatever, but that's okay too. Like we don't have to have the whole thing figured out. We can't, we can't possibly. Right. <laughs> yeah. So just get well, moving. Like writers yes. write, runners run. Like if you're going to do that, do it and just start doing it, you know? And um, I think that first step is always hardest. Um, I love Mel Robbins. She, she says that five, four, three, two, one, you have an idea. Don't <laughs> wait. Five, four, three, two, one, just do it. Like make the phone call, like me sending you an email or a, you know, Instagram thing saying, would you want to be on my podcast? You just do it. You just reach out, you, you know, take a chance. If it's no, it's no, but right. If it's yes, then that it's another step in another direction. So, and for every no, I mean, that probably wasn't the one meant to be, but you don't stop asking, like, my daughter and I have written a children's book. Cool. Yes. And it's, it was inspired by, I was reading through her um, fourth, it was when she was in fourth grade, she started writing in a, she had the greatest teacher who did prompts. And they, had, they spent every morning writing something about this prompt they would get. And hers was what made her unique. And she mm -hmm. wrote about, I'm unique because I am deaf. And she goes on to say, but it doesn't stop me. And I want other people to know that anything's possible. I'm like, okay, I go, there's my book. Awesome. It's, it's through her. So we've written the book. We have the manuscript. We've been sending out query letters. Yeah. Trying to get an agent. Yeah. But I, I, if you would have asked me, you know, four years ago, what's my book? I would not have said it's going to be my daughter's book, Hearing Schmearing in her words, 12-year-old words. It, so I would awesome. Never, yeah, so sometimes you have to look for, um, you, you'll find it in the least likely places sometimes as well. Just be open. Yes, stay open. Um, so do you have an agent and is the book being published or what's, what's the status? <laughs> no, we're shopping agents. We've been sending out query letters and this summer my daughter's going to help me with the spreadsheet to, we've sent out, I don't know if you've ever gone through the process, but querying agents. So yeah. So that's, we're in the process and we're waiting. We've had a few rejections. We've got a lot of no answers at all, which that part drives me crazy. Just send yeah. me one and oh, no, thanks. You know, but wow. so, but we're waiting. The right person needs to come around because it's a diverse voice. It's a children's book that we want in the hands. I mean, we, we want it in the hands of every child with hearing loss, every person connecting with, connected with kids with hearing loss, because there's not a lot of books out there. Right. And my daughter, we had a couple that weren't even that great. And my kids have read them a hundred times because they want to see themselves represented. And there's not a lot of options, especially ones that are done. Um, not that there's none, but, you know, we can do better. We can do, we can put some more voices out there. Yes. So what are the numbers? I mean, I don't know if you know this, but like, what are the numbers of kids with hearing loss? Oh gosh. You know what? 
I should know that. And I knew that, but oh, I'm not good with numbers. Yeah. I don't, my son would know. <laughs> I was just thinking about what? Yeah. And, and it's a missing thing. It's kind of like when we were talking earlier, you know, when you had this diagnosis with your son, you didn't really have a, there was no support group. And that's why you're doing what you're doing. Like you're creating, it's that whole necessity is the mother of invention, right? Like you yes. do what you need and your daughter sees that, like, that's so awesome. And you would think there would be that, you know, agents or publishers would see that and be like, oh, this is great. Like, this is a missing piece. <laughs> yes. I think that will happen. We just haven't found them yet or they haven't found us yet. So, but I like, I'm going to, I just came back from a big bloggers conference in Austin. I know. And I'm in Austin and I did no not. No way. Yes. And I didn't even know about that. And I saw that on your page and I was like, where have I been? What's going on? So oh. next time I got to pay more attention. There's always something really cool happening in Austin. So it's hard to keep up, but um, True. that looked amazing. Yeah, it was and actually, I left there, though, knowing more what I don't want to do than what I do want to do, which I think is also useful. Yes. Who, uh, taking, being able to cross things off, well, I know I don't want to do that. I don't want to do it this way. I think that can be useful. Yes. And I was Absolutely. also going to say one thing about young writers or new writers is they'll, they'll say, I don't know my story or my voice. I haven't found my voice or what I want to write about. And I think you don't need to know what your voice is when you start mm -hmm. and your voice is going to change as long as you're authentic to yourself. And that, I know it, that's so cliche, but you can't try to copy and mimic other people like, Oh, that person's successful. I'm going to try to do that. Or, you know, right. um, because your audience, one audiences are smart. They see through that. It's not, I don't enjoy reading things that I can tell or copycat, you know, yeah. don't try to be, you're not going to be, Brene Brown. Like, don't, right. don't try to sound like Brene Brown. Be inspired by her, but you know, that's not your voice and don't get pigeonholed. My, that's why my elevator speech is not good because I'm more than just hearing loss. I'm more than just a military wife. You know, I have a lot of stories to tell. Right. So I think just staying true to your voice. 100%. And I've tried to do that. Like I was writing a manuscript and it was so cheesy that like, even I was sick of myself. Like I was like, this doesn't, this isn't <laughs> right. Like this isn't me. Like I can do that. And then I realized too, a lot of times in my writing, I sounded like the grammar police. Like I was like super buttoned up in my writing, but in my speaking, I'm more casual and it, it lands better. Some of the things that I was talking about when I speak than it does when I write. And I thought that was really interesting. Like you start to discover things about yourself and then you're like, why am I not writing? Like I speak, like, why am I pretending in my writing? Which is kind of what I was doing. And then I realized I'm just going to start writing as I speak. And it became so much more engaging for people. But there was something about writing, I think, because I love writing and I'm a good student and I was really into like the rules, you know. Um, but you have to get comfortable with yourself. And the only way to do it is do it. Yes. That's so, so true. I had a, one of my favorite um, journalism professors in college. I ended up having him for many classes. And he, he was the one who said, you need to do this. And I'm like, do this. He's like, no, this is something, this is your gift. You need to do this. Oh, um, Dr. Rollman. <laughs> we're still in touch via Facebook, but wow. he, um, he embraced unique writing styles 
And yeah. I think he's the one who gave me permission to break all the rules. Yeah. As long as they were done with intention, not done because you didn't know the rules. Exactly. That's a good, that's a good distinction, right? You're not just writing that way because you don't know how to put a full sentence together. <laughs> right. Um, right. And we've changed, I think, our language around, you know, tweets and like the way people speak on social media and stuff. Now there's more leeway, I think, in conversations, but I still don't want things misspelled or, you know what I mean? Like there's still some stuff I'm not going to do. Um, but I love that you had a professor early on that gave you permission. Cause I think that's, um, I don't know, that's a gift just to know that you can just be you like right out of the gate. Absolutely. And every time I make certain style choices, I can, I literally can picture him in green pen on the side <laughs> of my paper going, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, like spectacular, you know, I can just I love see that. his exclamation marks. Like, like he would see the, the choices that you made that he just thought were so brilliant. And, you know, their your English comp teacher would have red penned it to death. Right. Yeah. So he, I really do have to credit him for making me feel brave enough to just speak in my own voice. I guess that, that was um, something big he did for me. And I've realized that so much with having my daughter had ADHD and dyslexia and just going to different conferences and learning different things, realizing like how teachers, like even when she was in kindergarten, if like she drew outside of the lines, like literally, you know, like if they have something they're coloring and they, and she, it doesn't look like everyone else's house or whatever, the teacher can say that's beautiful or the teacher can say that's wrong. And that those simple words can change the trajectory of the child's life and what they think of themselves. So true. So That's powerful. So true. Yes, very. Um, okay, so I, I have some questions I always ask everybody at the end. I definitely want to ask you, but first I have to ask you, did I see that you were on Beverly Hills 90210? I need, <laughs> I, I need the story. What's happening? <laughs> yes, I was. I was an extra. Oh. for a season. Yes. The, the Brenda days. So did you get to like, you were on there with like Luke Perry and everyone? I was on there with the whole crew, but they, you know, we were kept separate. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, the, the real thirsty extras, I mean, I was living in LA at the time and I was going to college. So it wasn't a stretch when they said, would you like to play a Southern California college student. It was like, okay, you got paid 60 bucks a day. You could sit and study. I mean, a lot of sitting. Yeah. But you could see the thirsty people who would go up and try to get it, you know, yeah. get close to the, um, the cast. But I was more just, and I've always been this way growing up in LA and stuff. Um, I just give people who are famous their space. Yeah. I, I, I just find it gross to infringe on their um, privacy. So, um, but yeah. Who oh knew? my gosh, it's so exciting. And I actually have the VHS tape somewhere. <laughs> I love it. So you were like for a whole season, you just yeah. kind of would show up and then you'd be in it sometimes. And yep, we'd get the call. We'd get a call and either like I, you'd go out to do a campus scene. One time we were in a church for a funeral scene, um, the beach pit, the peach yeah. pit. Is that what it was called? Yeah, a peach pit. Peach Did pit. you get paid? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, yeah. It was like 60 bucks a day. I'm telling you, for a college student, it was like money. Right. Plus, it's just fun. Did you ever want to go into that growing up in LA? Did you ever want to go? Yeah. 
Yeah, I actually minored in theater. Mm -hmm. I don't actually, I don't have a minor in theater, but I took any class that wasn't journalism related or writing related was theater. So, um, yeah. But then I just saw quickly, you know, it's, that's a rough, yeah, that's a rough job. I would agree. It reminds me of this time. My husband was an extra in that movie called Fred Claus and it was with, um, Vince Vaughn. I don't know if you ever saw. I didn't see the movie, but yeah. So, but I remember, um, they told him, don't talk to Vince. <laughs> like, don't go near, you know, they, that's what they told all the extras. So kind of what you're saying, like you were totally separate from yeah, the star, but he was like older than Vince at the time. And he was super insulted. He's like, I'm not going to go over there and bug him. Like I know better, you know? Um, but it was definitely a hard and fast rule. Don't talk to Vince. <laughs> that's so funny. And then he ended up on the cutting room floor. Like he wasn't even in the movie. Like it was just a few days of work or whatever, but same thing. He got paid. And then when the movie came out, his part had been cut and he had like a fake wife where they were like shopping. He had lines. They were shopping in like Toys R Us or something. I don't know. And then it just ended up being nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to, yeah. (laughs) On the cutting room floor. (laughs) Right. Okay. So, um, and I gave you a little bit of a heads up, so hopefully you are prepared for these. But um, what is a book that you love? Well, in our house, we're book people. We have them stacked everywhere. I was thinking about it. I could not pick one book, but I will pick one um, that I never read before. And then I read it with my kids because it was a, a mandatory reading for going into their middle school. And it was the book Wonder. Oh, I love that book so much. After and, my son read it, he's like, mom, you have to read this book. And I read it like in a day and was bawling my eyes out. I loved it. Same. And it was like family book club when oh, we all read it. So good. And um, I mean, the, the lessons in that book are, um, you know, profound and the mother's love and support and embracing differences and empathy and you know, all those things. I think my kids would never say it, but they could see themselves in Augie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they're cochlear implants. If you've never seen one, they are very shocking. They have a lot, a lot of people's eyes cut to their cochlear implants when they see them because they're startling if you've never seen one. Mm-hmm. Um, Google it if you want to see yeah, what one looks like. And um, my daughter notices people looking. My son is completely oblivious, but... Um, you know, it's starting to like, it annoys her. Mm-hmm. Like it's, they're just looking cause they're curious. Yeah. That's, you know, so either you have two choices, you can just acknowledge it and say, Oh, are you looking at my cochlear implant? Yeah. Yeah. I use this to hear. Oh, okay. And people move on or like, Oh, how cool. And then they move on or you can just, you know, ignore the fact they're looking and just know that's why, cause they're curious. You know, if somebody's making fun of you, that's different. Right. I haven't had to deal with too much of that. So anyway. Yeah, yeah. that uh, book was amazing. Did you end up seeing the movie? With we Julie? did. Oh, so good. So good. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. So on that note, what is a movie that you love? And the reason I don't say favorites is because I'm with you. I could never pick a favorite book or a favorite movie. So just like, what's a movie you love? Well, I was asking my kids this and they said, mom, it's Wizard of Oz. Oh. I love it. If that movie comes on. It's one of those I can't turn it off. Yep. And I think 
yeah, I couldn't pick a favorite movie. I have like, I have a lot of adult movies. I like like Pulp Fiction and Shawshank and yeah. You know, but um, a movie that I just absolutely cannot turn off is the Wizard of Oz. And I think one, it just brings you right back to childhood. And it was like a big thing. We'd get to stay up, you know, we could stay awake for it when it would be on. And I think, you know, just the message now looking back that all Dorothy and all her misfit friends. Yep. And I, I kind of feel like that's like our family. We're like the family of little misfits and, and just how, you know, everything she always, she ever needed was already in her. It was our, she was already home. So and good. I, yeah. To me, that's <laughs> metaphoric for the military. And it's taken me again, perspective. It's taken me many years being a military wife to, to realize that home is not geography. It's not which home, which physical house I live in. It's the people that inhabit that home with me. And that's taken me a lot of years. That's so good. Yep. For sure. Um, Okay. And then who inspires you? That's a hard question too. I know. I didn't think of this one ahead. Oh, okay. Well, we don't have no pressure. (laughs) No, but I can go with the easy. um, The easy one, I think my kids. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think we just had their parent-teacher conference and their school does something unique. They make the child present to the parents. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. They do a lot of self-analysis and introspection and um, it was my son's. And my husband took off work, which always means it's something important to him, right? When he shows up, something that's 10 o'clock in the morning, it means this yeah. is important to me. And my son was kind of nervous and he had to um, rank himself in um, grit, resiliency, leadership, and one other category. Okay. I'm so excited about the things he had to rank himself in. And resiliency is one of my favorite things to talk about. Cause to me, that's like the most important, like we need to be teaching resilience. <laughs> like we need to be talking about what that is, but like how cool that those are the things he had to rank himself in. Yeah. And what was really interesting is that my son ranked himself very low in grit and resiliency and not really low, but not high. And then, um, you know, we listened to him speak and stumble over his words and he's just very humble Mm -hmm. and not, um, academically he's kind he's, he's able to speak on academics that he's pretty strong, but in most things in life, very humble, almost to a point of a fault. Yeah. Uh, And my husband after, and this was his advisor that he was presenting in front of his, also his history teacher. So my husband and this teacher really connect because of the history and the military connection and all this stuff. And, um, yeah. and my husband's like, well, I, I just want to go back to um, these two categories. And I want to talk about why I think you don't un- even understand how resilient you are. Mm-hmm. You know, you've never once complained about your hearing loss or said, why me? You've never once said, why does my dad have to leave? You know, why do I have to move and change schools? You just do it. Mm. And that has created a tremendous amount of grit and you're more resilient than I think you'll ever know. And then he also said in leadership, you know, leadership isn't about 
It doesn't have to be the guy at the front of the pack yeah. cheering the loudest. Your leadership qualities are your, your calm, quiet, work ethic, showing up, always yeah. working hard, giving more than your fair share. And people see that, and that is a leadership quality, even though you're not the loudest and you're not the one up front, you know, cheering the loudest. Your football team looks, looks to you like he's going to be there. Yep. He's going to stop this guy from tackling me, and I just know he's going to be there because the guy shows up. And then it was, I'm like trying to not cry, sitting That's in this. Awesome. Um, so good. And, and my daughter's the same in different ways to Matt. She's just tenacious and um, determined. And, and I think I just, they don't complain. They, I've never once heard them say, why me? And they really have had to deal with, you know, not more than every kid, but they've dealt with a lot more than their fair share. Yeah. And I love that in that conference, he had an opportunity, your husband had an opportunity to kind of, like you got to dig deeper in those concepts. Yes. And that's so good for them. I've even had people say that to me about different things, you know, in different periods of my life where, you know, somebody recognizes something in you and they tell you, but you know, not something like, I like your shirt, but like, you know, I feel that, you know, you're a very compassionate person because when you did this, it made me feel this or whatever, you know, when they give you that deep, like understanding compliment of like a really who you are. Um, it's so meaningful. So like, what a great opportunity that those teachers created just by having that conversation. Absolutely. And that's, love that. that's why we're at the school we're at because they are, they, you know, a lot of schools say they do certain things, but this school actually really, they don't just talk the talk. It's yeah. very intentional and the kids don't even get half the stuff that they're experiencing at this age. They don't even know how amazing it is that someday I hope they'll look back and go, wow, like, you know, we were giving presentations in sixth grade. Why? Because our school knew that being able to talk in front of others is a huge life skill. And if we can ma master it at age 12, you know, how great is that? So it takes like the fear out of it too, because if they keep practicing it and when they're young, I mean, they're scared, I'm sure when they first start doing it, but then, you know, there's a comfort zone that comes with just practicing. Absolutely. So, oh, that's so good. Yeah. Um, okay. So my last question is what's a good, again, not a favorite, not the best, but what's a good piece of advice that you have been given? Hmm. Let's see. Well, my dad, who was such an inspiring, amazing, humble person. Mm-hmm. He always thought the best game of the year was every Monday night. Everything was always his favorite. <laughs> yeah. And we almost like, this is my favorite song. Oh, this is my favorite movie. This is like, this is the best game of the year every Monday night. <laughs> yeah. I, and he had a saying, what a moment. Uh. Yeah. He'd be up in the stands at a track. Meet. What a moment. What a moment. Like. So good. Yeah. So joyful. Yeah, just being able to like truly appreciate what is right in front of you at that moment. That's what a moment. It's right there. It's not what's tomorrow. It's not what was yesterday. It's, I guess, I'm not really describing it the way. Wow. Um, I love it. I but love yeah, it. I think just what a moment. Yeah, he was present. 
you know, yeah, I love that. I lost my dad when I was 28. So yeah, thank you. Not as young as you, but same feeling about my dad. I can tell like when you talk about your dad, I mean, my dad was so wise, so humble, um, funny, you know, uh, and just gave me so much. Um, I just think confidence in life because of the way that he loved me. Oh, I love that. I love that. My dad did the same for me. And I think my husband's doing it for my children. I see my brother doing it to his children. My sister, you know, um, my sister's husband, like, I think everybody who knew my dad knows the importance of a man in a child's life because of the impact he had on my brother and sister. And I, you know, we didn't have him that long, but his impact, I mean, his legacy is just, you know, endless. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. That's a good, a good place to kind of wrap up. So where can people find you if they want to read your stuff? I am at mybattlecall.com is my website. I just launched it in January. So I hope people will go check that out. And then all my handle on Facebook, Instagram, my battle call. Yep. Same. And then hopefully you'll be seeing my book, Hearing Smearing. <laughs> I love the name. I love the title. And yeah, and I'll post all of your stuff on the blog too so people can find you that way. Um, I just appreciate you coming on so much. I've loved our conversation today. I appreciate it too, Sue. I feel like I just had the best lunch with a friend. Oh, me too. Yay. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care.